Section 7. The Deep Sea Diver. Part 3 of Careers of Danger and Daring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marsitich, Alexandria, Virginia, 2010. Careers of Danger and Daring by Cleveland Moffat. The Deep Sea Diver, Part 3, An Afternoon of Storytelling on the Steam Pump Dunderberg. When there is difficult diving to be done in the East River, or in any river where the tide runs strong, you will see the wrecking boats swing idly at anchor for hours waiting for slack water, the only time when divers dare go down. And often there is half a day's waiting for half an hour's work, and often a week goes by on a two-hours job, say, in full midstream, where not even the most venturesome beginner will stay down more than twenty minutes at the turn, lest he be swept away, ponderous suit and all, by the rush of the river. It's start your patch and leave it to be ripped open by the beating sea. It's get your chain fast nine weary times, and have it nine times torn away overnight by some foolish, bumping tugboat. In fact, it's worry and aggravation until the thing is over. Also, this is the time of times, if you can get aboard, to make acquaintance with the wreckers, to pick up lore of the diving suit and tales of the divers. It was bad weather when we, on the sturdy old Dunderberg, were busy at a wreck off the Brooklyn shore, not far from the Grand Street Ferry. I had as much to do with lifting this wreck as the pewter spoon stuck around the little cabin. It wasn't much of a wreck anyhow, only a grain boat, but it had my gratitude for stubbornly refusing to come up, and so we had hours to spend down in the cabin aforesaid, which could barely hold cook-stove and dining-table, but managed to be parlor and bedroom besides, also laundry on occasions. The Dunderberg, I should explain, was originally a mud-scow, but for good conduct and an injury to her nose had been changed into a steam-pump. She could suck her forty tons of coal an hour out of a wreck with the best of them, and she traveled with four pontoons, no one of which could touch her in table fare, especially coffee. Late one afternoon, when the rain was drizzling and the swinging brass lamps lit, we sat about on wooden stools, and some were curled up in bunks along the walls, and listened to the talk of Atkinson and Timmins and Hansen, who had seen and done strange things in their time. They were discussing the escape valve in a diver's helmet, and arguing whether it pays to stiffen the spring for very deep diving. Atkinson, who had worked eight fathoms deeper than either of them, said he left his spring alone. He used the same suit and the same valve action for any depth. But I look out for sandbanks, said he. Ever since that fellow, you know who I mean, had one cave in on him on the North River. He was tunneling under a vessel with a wall of sand beside him, higher than his head, and the first thing he knew, he was flat on his back, with sand jammed in his valve so it couldn't open. 
it wasn't a minute before he was shot up to the surface like a balloon the reason of that he explained for my benefit is because a diving suit with its valve shut gets lighter and lighter as they drive down air from the air pump until all of a sudden it comes up man and all just as a plank would if you held it on the bottom and then let it go talking about planks coming up said timmins who was seated under the picture of a prize fighter i was down on the north german lloyd steamer maine the one that was burned and sunk fixing a suction pipe to pump grain out of her when a big wooden hatch got loose and came up under me i was working between decks and the hatch swung me right up against the overhead beams and held me there squeezing the lifeline and hose so tight i couldn't signal it's lucky the hose was wire wound or that would have been the last of me but i got my air all right and after a while i worked free wire wound and all observed atkinson i've had my hose squeezed so the air was shut off i was on a rack off one of the hoboken docks once when an eight-inch suction pipe caught the hose coming down through a hatch and the next second i felt my air stop though i could hear the pump beating i jerked slack away on the lifeline and that loosened the hose and saved me but i got a blast of compressed air as the jam eased that jumped me up a yard suppose your lifeline had been jammed too i asked so that you couldn't jerk slack away atkinson paused to think there's a difference of opinion about how long a man can live on air that's in his helmet some say three or four minutes i don't believe it i think two minutes would do the business there was george seaman began timmins yes said atkinson taking up the story as was a senior's right there was george seaman who put trust in the argument of tom scott and lowe and some of those old-timers that a man can cut his hose and press his thumb quick against the hole and live long enough on what's air in the helmet to reach the top years ago they used to give that talk to us youngsters but i notice none of em ever tried it well seaman he did try it he was down on a wreck somewhere along sixtieth street and his hose got caught in the timbers the lifeline was all right and he was getting air enough only when they tried to haul him up he stuck on account of the hose they tried three times to lift him and each time he'd come up a few feet and stick and then they'd have to let him fall back you can see that's awful discouraging for a man especially when he's tired and cold if seaman had kept his nerve and waited they'd probably have sent another diver down to get him untangled but he didn't keep his nerve all he saw was that the hose was caught and he couldn't free it and they couldn't get him up it's a lot easier to get rattled at the bottom of a river than up in the air and seaman called to mind what he'd heard about stopping the hole with your thumb and he got out his knife all divers carry a knife fast to the suit see like this he drew a two-edged knife a wicked-looking weapon out of its leathern sheath 
and moved his thumb along the edge. Then Seaman, he felt for the hose, and made ready to cut. His idea was, you see, to slash the hose at one stroke, then jerk on the lifeline to be hauled up quick, and keep the hole shut with his thumb while he came up. I can picture him now with his knife on the hose, sort of praying a minute, like a man might with a knife at his throat. That's what it amounted to. Well, he wrote the story of what he did right there on the hose, and wrote it plain. They've got the piece at the office, and they'll show it to you if you ask him. Seaman made his cut with about two men's strength. I'll bet not one of you boys could do near as well as he did at cutting a hose through with one stroke. His slash came clear through all but a shaving of rubber, and he tried to cut that with a second stroke, but the knife struck a new place about an inch away, and he slashed her half through there. Then he tried nine times more, and made nine separate cuts at the hose, and there they are today, about half an inch apart, each one a little shallower than the one before, and the last two or three only scratches on the outside. That was just as he died, and you can figure out how long it probably took him to make those eleven knife strokes. I suppose there ought to be thirteen, but eleven's what there is. You'll count em. Not only did I count them, these eleven tragic cuts, but I have the piece of hose to this day. The office people gave it to me, and never do I look but with a shiver at this dumb record in diminuendo of agony and sacrifice. I suppose that settled the question of stopping a hose with your thumb, I remarked. That's what it did, said Atkinson. After this, there were more stories. I can't begin to say how many more. Every time a diver goes down, one would say, something new happens to him, something worth telling about. Hansen related an experience of his with a conger eel. Atkinson told how a dock department diver named Fairchild was blown to death under forty feet of water when twenty-eight pounds of dynamite he was putting in for blasting went off too soon. Timmins told how he fainted away once, one hundred and five feet down, and another time let the water into his suit by pulling out a helmet lug on a foolish wager, and that reminded Atkinson of the time his gasket, the rubber joint under the collar, was cut through by the slam of an iron ladder, and the air went out, whoo, and a quick jerk on the lifeline was all that saved him. Last of all, they told me the story of old Captain Conkling and the Holy Oak Dam, a story known to every diver. It seems there was a leak in this dam, and the water was rushing through with so strong a suction that it seemed certain death for a diver to go near enough to stop the leak. Yet it was extremely important that the leak be stopped. In fact, the saving of the dam depended on it. So Captain Conkling, who was in charge of the job, induced one of his divers to go down, and reluctantly the man put on his suit, but insisted on having an extra rope, and a very strong one, tied around his waist. "'What's that for?' asked Conkling. 
that's to help my body out if the lifeline breaks, said the diver. Go on and do your work, replied Conkling, who had little use for sentiment. It happened exactly as the diver feared. He was drawn into the suction of the hole, and when they tried to pull him up, both hose and lifeline parted, and the man was drowned, but they managed to rescue his body with the heavy line, just as he had planned. Then Conkling called for another diver, but not a man responded. They said they weren't that kind of fools. All right, said the captain, in his business-like way, then I'll go down myself and stop that hole. And he called the men to dress him. At this time, Captain Conkling was seventy-five years old, and had retired long since from active diving, but he was as strong as a horse still, and no man had ever questioned his courage. In vain they tried to dissuade him. "'I'll stop that hole,' said he, "'and I don't want any extra rope either.' He kept his word. He went down, and he stopped the hole, but it was with his dead body." and today somewhere in the holy oak dam lie the bones of brave old captain conkling encased in full diving dress helmet and hose and lifeline buried in that mass of masonry no man ever dared go down after his body end of section seven